All right, so let me preface this by saying I've been saying that I was going <laughs> to learn guitar for a year and a half, and I finally started this week, and Sarah told me that I had to play the one song I know on this radio show. So here we... <laughs> I'm not radio show. On this podcast, here we go. London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. London Bridge is falling down, my fair lady. There you go. That's the two chords I know. Playing a real simple nursery rhyme. <laughs> Sorry. There we go. That was truly gorgeous. You're welcome, my adoring fans. I'm kickstarting my music career right now. Do you know what I've been wondering? I'm Jane. I'm Sarah. Jane, we've been podcasters for four days now. I know. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. Happy Ravenclaw Pride Day. Happy Ravenclaw Pride Day. And we released on a Hufflepuff Pride Day. I know. I've never been more decked out for a made-up holiday before. Excuse me. That's not a made-up holiday. This is a real (laughs) holiday. That insult my people like this. Dan and I both did very dramatic eye looks, both for my segment and also for Ravenclaw Pride Day. Ravenclaw makeup, I feel like, is easier to make dramatic than Hufflepuff makeup. Well, Hufflepuff, I feel like you'd have to do a lot of layers of, like, gold and bronze. Yeah. Um, I just did, like... Or, like, a badger-inspired look. I almost tried to do an eagle-inspired look for Ravenclaw Day. Of that i don't know i've just seen a couple of tutorials online that are like you try and make your um eye makeup look like wings oh and you like try and do like a beak kind of oh with like contour yeah i'm gonna make jane take photos of me later and my ravenclaw swag to really get us in the mood so happy ravenclaw pride day it's an appropriate day to be doing some research so all week sarah's been saying like i haven't even started my research yet i haven't even started um, and I normally am the procrastinator in the group, so I was really proud of myself for like starting earlier than I thought I would. But then this morning I got up and was like, Sarah, I'm sorry, I need a little bit to um, finish my research. And Sarah goes, Oh, yeah, I need to finish mine too. And I go and I finish up and I text her, I'm like, Okay, I'm done. And then Sarah goes, Oh, yeah, me too. I'm like, wait, that was fast. And she went, Um, I may have researched more than I let on. You lied to me about no, procrastinating. No, I, I thought, here's the thing a lot left because I had researched like the very beginnings of my topic and then it turns out that like in my topic we're gonna skip a whole chunk of time like literally thousands of years um (laughs) so I was like oh my god I'm still in BC you know I thought I was I thought I was nowhere near being done and then it's gonna jump a a long period of time really quickly so I was like oh no so I kind of I my research then was kind of me fluffing it up it'll be a lot of fun like uh, I have some good information for you, mm-hmm. but it was definitely, I thought I had a lot more to go than I really did. So that was part of it, why I was able to do it so quickly. Also, like I put on some Wicked and I got in the zone. So how are you doing? How was your week? I'm good. Speaking of Wicked, I saw it last night on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. And you liked it. I did. I had seen it before on tour and obviously I listened to the soundtrack a lot. So I knew the show, but I still enjoyed myself. It was interesting being um, in a group of people who hadn't seen it. I saw it with my 
why aren't children and their parents essentially but it was fascinating to see wicked with a group of people who literally didn't know the plot at all right because i feel like wicked is such an iconic broadway musical now like that's most young people's intro at least i feel like our generation many of our intros into musical theater was wicked Wicked, it was so huge that was the first show i saw i saw it on tour in high school mm-hmm. in buffalo and i i like had always listened to it before then right it's my aunt and uncle who love musicals were really obsessed with it and so yeah. they were like you have to listen to this yeah definitely i have a story that i've been waiting to tell you <gasps> i didn't tell you it's really hard because i ask how you're doing on air but it's kind of a fake question because i know because i see, we you every see day. each other every day yeah yeah but i have a story that i've been waiting to tell you that relates to how i'm doing <gasps> so thanks for asking um i <laughs> Sorry, I'm a terrible friend. (laughs) It's fine. I so this week at work in my school's cafeteria, there was a cockroach and it was (gasps) huge. And it was funny because my boss was at my school this week and she had been sitting in in the class that was happening in the cafeteria. And then when it came to after class time, which is pickup time, and there's like an hour and a half where we just kind of hang out with the kids and do activities, she comes up to me and she goes, "I don't want to alarm you, but during art class in here, I saw." a huge cockroach and i went to get the custodian and then it had disappeared (gasps) so i was kind of already on edge so about 45 minutes goes by there's maybe 20 kids left who haven't been picked up and i'm kind of starting to clean stuff up and i'm picking up a puzzle at a cafeteria table and i look down and the cockroach goes right by my foot (gasps) let me just say this is a perfect example of how i am a flighter not a fighter because (laughs) if i had been braver if i'd been a different person the and the instinct to stop gryffindor yeah i don't i'm a ravenclaw (laughs) but the instinct if i had that instinct i could have stomped it out right there i was wearing boots like it would have been Mm -hmm. done and there's a part of me that wishes i had that instinct because what happened next was absolute insanity so i scream Mm -hmm. i just yell which is never good around children because you're supposed to be the composed one and i was not composed um i start walking away and i get to the other side of the cafeteria and i say i need everybody to come and stand on this side of the cafeteria and i don't tell them why but there's one girl who of course doesn't get up she's at the coloring table and the cockroach is now crawling under the color the coloring <gasps> table to her feet and Save i her. don't want to align her and all the kids are like what's going on like why are we standing over here and i was like just stay calm and the adults have also seen it my boss like a hero immediately she knew when i screamed what happened she like immediately went to get the custodian my assistant site director because she's a hero carissa she like goes for it she's like trying to find it and she goes but it it's crawling under the table so she's having a hard time getting it and the kindergartner that's sitting there is like what's going on and i'm like sweetie like i need you to come over here right now <laughs> like i like just stand up and walk over and i didn't want her to look down and she looked down and she was like oh, there's a cockroach and all the kids devolved into chaos um on the side of the cafeteria that i was on but then it crawled under the we have booths in our cafeteria it crawled under there and carissa was trying to get it but it crawled into a hole and it <gasps> disappeared so they ended up putting a glue trap at the entrance to the hole and stuffing and so it couldn't get out. But the rest of the day, there was like maybe 20 minutes left of the day. The kids were like on edge and didn't want to, they didn't want to help clean up and like they didn't want to go over there. And I didn't really either, but I was like, <laughs> all right, I have to go clean up this puzzle and these crayons. Um, it was actually crazy. Um, so that happened to me this week and it's been like really setting me on edge because now every like piece of dirt I see on the ground, I think is a cockroach because it was, oh. it was huge. It was like the size of my toe big. It was really, really big. So that's how my week was. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Because 
this is a funny question the kids asked me they were like what's a cockroach and i was like it's a bug and like what does it do because i think at this point they know that most bugs have functions in the world but i was like nothing it does nothing it's just gross (laughs) (laughs) i was like it doesn't have an evolutionary purpose and they can't be destroyed they take forever to die i'm adding that to the list what are cockroaches what are they for okay you can research that because i do not want to be googling cockroaches and seeing those photos all right are you ready to get started I guess I am. All right. So, Jane, tell me about ASMR. I know it's your favorite thing. All right. Well, my first experience with ASMR was in about 2017. Uh, The group chat that both of us are in with a couple of our friends from school, our senior year, I think it was spring semester, all of those videos going around that were like, shrek but every time they say the word donkey it speeds up or oh something yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, like, yeah i love those videos or the caillou remix like there was a bunch of weird videos going around at that yes, time yes i watched all of them in our sound design class <laughs> um a couple people in our group chat were like i listened to this as asmr i was i had no idea what it was at the time yeah so in my head it was like this was a thing that didn't exist but then everyone in the group chat was like Oh, yeah, I love ASMR, too. So in my mind, in, like, 2017, it was like, this is not a thing I know about. And then all of a sudden, everyone in our group chat was like, I love ASMR. And I, I know nothing. I knew nothing about it. But I've really gotten into it in the past, like, couple months. I've been using it to, like, help me sleep sometimes. I, like, it's. I find it very useful for, like, relaxation mm-hmm, and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, which is partially why this was kind of a hard topic for me to cover because the other night you were like on the phone in our living room. So I went into my room to like work on my research, but I ended up being reminded of an ASMR video that I like and I pulled it up and I fell asleep. (laughs) (laughs) So when I said, Jane, you can come back to the living room, like you had been asleep for a bit of it. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. I had no idea. (laughs) I was taking a nap. I mean, granted it was like 9 PM and it had been a long day. All right, so ASMR stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Mm -hmm. Oh, Uh that's a lot of science words. It is. And you should know that it's not like when you see an ASMR video, Mm -hmm. things happening in the video aren't ASMR. Your bodily response to it is the ASMR. Oh. So so you can fail an ASMR video because you don't necessarily fail. That's a Ravenclaw. It's (laughs) not like a pass-fail thing. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. Everything in this life is pass-fail. Well, like, ASMRists, as they are called, Mm -hmm. um, will, honestly, when they're trying to think of things to put in their videos or their binaural recording, they will literally, like, pick up objects and like interact with them and see if it triggers their asmr but let me go into um asmr is a feeling yes not it is. A let me gotcha. get into some definitions and mm-hmm. i'm gonna get a little sciencey on you here so asmr or autonomous sensory meridian response is a feeling of well-being combined with a tingling sensation in the scalp and down the back of the neck as experienced by some people in response to specific gentle stimulus often a particular sound. And Wikipedia kept trying to sell me that, like, there were uh, these colloquial terms for a lot of the words that I was looking up, um, Mm -hmm. which are not words that I've ever heard. So I don't know if Wikipedia, where they're getting these colloquial terms. But um, (laughs) the colloquial terms, which I've never heard, are brain massage, head tingle, spine tingle, or brain orgasm. Ah, Mm -hmm. So this is literally a form of self-care. Yes, it is. Um, which I was planning on saying later, but I'll say now that, um, the sole purpose of ASMR is relaxation. 
like oh. ASMR videos are only made for relaxation. Like they're used specifically to help you relax. Gotcha. So it's like a massage for your brain. It is. It's oh, sole purpose relaxation. That's sweet. My brain could use a massage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's similar to synesthesia in a way. So do you know what synesthesia is? Should I explain that? Is synesthesia that? where you can see colors? Do yes. you hear colors? Um, well, that's a form of synesthesia. Mm. The like official definition of synesthesia is when your senses like overlap. Mm. Um, so you can Interesting. see something you're listening to or you can feel something you hear or oh yeah your senses are like overlapping mm. that's or... so interesting i've i've really only heard the like see and hear at the same time i didn't know that it applies to all overlaps that's um yeah, well this would be referred to as auditory tactile synesthesia because you're feeling something in response to sounds right like, the idea is that you can physically feel like someone massaging your head mm-hmm. by listening to asmr mm-hmm. okay, and it. apparently there's a thing called frizzin f-r-i-s-s-o-n sure frizzin um that is the here we go s-a-t word psychophysiological response oh that is um, a word mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to rewarding auditory and or visual stimuli that induces a pleasurable or otherwise positively valence effect state and transient paresthesia skin tingling or chills sometimes along with piloerection goosebumps and meridian <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh i didn't know that was the scientific term for goosebumps that oh my gosh that's so much and um mydriasis pupil dilation um which the definition of that there were also wikipedia also said the colloquial term for it is skin orgasm i'm like what is with you coming up with these like fake i think wikipedia was just like Someone was kind of feeling raunchy and was like, this is the orgasm of this thing. And this is the orgasm of this thing. It's oh like, get out of here. Get out of here. Oh my Come gosh. on. That's um, so funny. Um, and it doesn't work on everyone. And it can be tough to imagine the sensation if you don't experience it yourself. But I, here's the thing. I don't personally, I don't think I experience ASMR the same way other people do. Like I have sometimes felt like the tingling in like the bottom of my spine, but that's not mm. where in the spine they say most people feel it but a way that you can describe it to people who who don't feel it at all who like want to know what it feels like it's it's like a mild electrical current um or the carbonated bubbles in a glass of champagne um (laughs) it's like that but in your body yeah that's just called drinking i would say (laughs) i don't feel that that intensely but like sometimes i do i just find it like relaxing and it kind of makes me kind of like zone out and helps me fall asleep um and that has nothing to do with i notice in these videos people talk like really calmly and really softly like that has nothing to do with it it's all the like sounds that they're making no well there's different triggers so some of the specific categories are listening to a softly spoken or whispering voice um and one study Mm -hmm. that did like a survey of people to find out what each of their triggers were right um 75 percent of them were triggered by softly spoken or whispering voices Okay, so the second one is listening to quiet, repetitive sounds resulting from someone engaging in a mundane task, such as turning the pages of a book, preparing food, loudly chewing, crunching, slurping, or biting food, drinks, or gum, which is one of the first ASMRs I ever heard of. Like, our friend Connor said 
that they liked listening to someone eating carrots or something like that. That's so interesting because whenever I'm at home, if I eat chips in front of my mother, she's like, you need to chew quieter. (laughs) You are so loud. And my entire life, I've been so self-conscious about chewing loudly. Some people like it. (laughs) (laughs) Ew. No, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. Um, Okay, one of the triggers is receiving personal attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I relate. Which I Me should too. explain. There are a lot of ASMR videos that are just like people looking into the camera like it's you. So like when you look at it, it's like they're looking at you and them like saying nice things to you or that's hilarious did you ever have you ever heard of these cassette tapes that came out in the 90s that parents could order and they were personalized for their children so all mm-hmm. the songs had your name in it i had one of those i had one too and i loved it i love that this woman on the tape was saying my name because at the beginning of every song would be like okay sarah it's time to do this and mm-hmm. then they'd sing like you are my sunshine oh. it was so sweet like i love personal attention <laughs> it's that leo ego the one that I was watching the other night that put me to sleep was I had this specific one. Okay, there's this ASM artist um, called GB. Um, I think her channel is just called GB ASMR. But she does like so many ASMR videos. But the one that I really like to watch that helps me fall asleep is it's already an open tab on my laptop. It's called brackets ASMR makeup on you and me heart emoji soft spoken. And it's just like an hour long video of her like pretending to put makeup on the camera and like oh. talking to you I can't even, like, and visualize for that. some reason something about it like it relaxes all right um or listening to tapping typically nails onto surfaces such as plastic wood metal etc mm. and hand- i get that one i mm-hmm. do get that one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and hand movements especially onto one's face so there are <laughs> hand movements no i know it's like it seems like they'll just be like waving their hands around but it's i think it's <laughs> They're specifically referring to there's a lot of videos where like they move their hands around the camera to make it look like they're like rubbing your face or brushing your hair. Um, It can be visual or audible. Um, Videos typically consist of people doing simple, quiet, calming tasks such as folding towels, brushing their hair or flipping magazine pages. Um, Oh, I do like the sound of flipping pages. mm -hmm, I get mm -hmm. that one too. Mm -hmm. Um, Some have voices, but some don't. Like sometimes people don't speak in them. Sometimes they'll whisper, sometimes they won't. Mm. Um, sometimes people talk about random things. Um, the ASMR trigger, trigger is just the sound of their voice, so they'll just like go on and on and on. But a majority of the time, they're just whispering nice things, words of affirmation. Oh. Mm-hmm. Again, the goal is to help you relax, so they aren't going to say mean things to you. They're just going <laughs> to... Sometimes I need people to say mean things. Is there like reverse ASMR that's like, get your life together? <laughs> that's co-star. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh, there's also a, like, subcategory of ASMR that's role-playing. Oh. Yeah. Um, Which sounds kinkier than it is. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's literally just, like, like GB pretending to do my makeup. She's, like, role-playing my friend who's doing my makeup. Oh, okay. And she does a whole bunch of ones that are, like, doing my best friend's nails or... Um, there's another makeup one that she does that's big sister doing your makeup. And in that one, she specifically like pretends to be your older sister. Gotcha. So it's not always necessarily, I always thought it was about the sounds that that video makes. But really it can also be about the like situation. Yeah. It's literally just anything that like helps you relax. And there's one specific, um, 
subcategory of role playing that's clinical role play um and that's you go to a doctor yes it's literally them pretending to be medical professionals i've heard of this because some people like the way that doctors and like dentists talks talk because they're so soothing i don't know if it has anything to do with that but i do um have some information on clinical role play that i will get to in a bit um so i'm gonna give you a quick timeline on the history of asmr um, it's a pretty new thing. I mean, technically, as long as humans have existed, like, we have had the ability to experience ASMR. Um, and evolutionarily, they think it comes from when we were, like, apes and gro- we were grooming each other. Like, there's, like, wow, a... Wow, po- yeah, really? There's a positive feeling that you get when somebody else grooms you. That's so sweet. And they think it, like, is an evolved version of that. So here's the timeline. 1925. Oh. Mm-hmm. Virginia Woolf publishes the novel, Mrs. Dalloway. <gasps> I love her. We stand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everyone read A Room of One's Own. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. In one passage, she writes of a nursemaid who speaks to her patient, quote, deeply, softly, like a mellow organ, but with a roughness in her voice like a grasshopper's, which rasped his spine deliciously and sent running up into his brain waves of sound. Ooh. Um, which modern um, experts of ASMR are like, right there she's talking about asmr she's talking about someone getting a nice feeling in their spine from the sound of someone's voice that's so interesting um cut to 2007 a discussion forum for health related subjects at a website called steady health had a 21 year old registered user with the handle okay whatever one word (laughs) okay whatever um (laughs) i want that to be my vanity license plate okay whatever um He submitted a, well, he or she, we don't know, which note they're 21 and their handle is okay, whatever, um, submitted a post describing having experienced a specific sensation since childhood, comparing to that stimulated by tracing fingers, fingers along the skin, yet often triggered by seemingly random and unrelated non-haptic events, such as watching a puppet show or being read a story. And <laughs> if you're getting ASMR from watching a puppet show... I have a lot of questions about your life. Yeah, me too. Like, what about that? What about that? that Is it like, is it puppets on strings? I don't know. Wood clacking together from that, like marionettes. Like, what? But does Pinocchio do it for you? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But apparently, they posted that and it got a lot of responses, and it created this like crazy thing of everyone being like, "I experienced that too. So do I. So do I." Oh, Um, so it was more that nobody had just really talked about it before. Yeah. And like as the internet really became a thing, that started happening pretty much. Like someone would post like, anybody else like get this feeling from this sound? And a bunch of people would be like, yeah, I do. So along with the internet, it really became, it spread knowledge of ASMR. Yeah. Um, And then in 2013, the first peer-reviewed article on the subject was written. And it was an article about clinical ASMR, (laughs) clinical role-playing ASMR. Oh my goodness. In 2015... A division occurred within the ASMR community. Oh, mm-hmm. no. There's trauma already. Yes. And it was over the subject of sexual arousal. Community creating videos categorized as ASMR erotica. <gasps> this is raunchy. I know, I know, I know. Um, wait, but is that the same thing as ASMR? No, that's the thing. That's what this division was for. With ASMR, people were like, all right, if you're going to make quote-unquote ASMR erotica... That's going to be your own separate category, your thing. We don't want everyone thinking that all ASMR is that. Right. You go over there, you do your thing. Right. ASMR, quote unquote, ASMR erotica. And that was when they decided to officially, like, define what ASMR was. 
so that's where the term autonomous sensory meridian response first came from um because this woman named jennifer allen was like all right let's define it let's say that specifically this one thing that is not sexual right you guys can go over there and do that if you want like no shame no judgment but we're not doing that and so she wanted to give them very specific clinical terms to describe what it actually was. Um, so it's autonomous sensory meridian response. Autonomous, meaning spontaneous self-governing with or without control. Sensory, meaning pertaining to the senses. Meridian, signifying a peak climax or point of highest development. Response, referring to an experience triggered by something external. All the terms were chosen because they were objective, comfortable, and clinical descriptors of the sensation. Was she a scientist or was she just a person who picked this name? That is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> like it could have just been a rando civilian being like, I'm going to come up with this name, which would be hilarious because one time a professor said to me, you get tenure as a professor for making up words. She currently lives in Plattsburgh, New York. Good uh, for her. I mean, she attended the University of Southern Maine. Oh my, oh my gosh. <laughs> USMR. No, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> She's an ASMR expert. Um, I'm trying to figure out what her like job is. Like, how did she get into that? Was she a scientist beforehand? Oh, she's currently a red team manager for a cybersecurity company. What does that have to do with ASMR? I don't know. <laughs> How did she become an ASMR expert? I don't know. In 2009, she participated in the first major online discussion of the sensation. Oh, which is what I talked about before, that online discussion. Yeah. Um, so she was just the leader of the community. The she founded the Facebook group. She's their group. spokesperson. She created the website, ASMRresearch.org. <laughs> so she's just an advocate, but she she's found... also just a random lady. <laughs> All right. Well, everyday people can accomplish great things, too. Yeah. Uh, don't need to be a scientist to no, um, lead an online science community. Uh, now I'm going to quickly get back into clinical role play because I just thought it was fascinating. Um, so this peer-reviewed article in 2013 was written by this guy named, oh, forgive me for the pronunciation, but Nitin Ahuja, N-I-T-I-N-A-H-U-J-A. Great. He wrote this article entirely about clinical um, role play. Um, and he talked about it in reference to this book that was written in 1971 called Love in the Ruins by author and physician Walker Percy. And the book is about a psychiatrist living in a dystopian future who develops this device called the on- ontological lapsimeter that, when traced across the scalp of a patient, detects the neurochemical correlation to a brand of disturbances so essentially i think it just like is a diagnostic machine that he invents that just like you put it on your head and it's like this is what's wrong with you for this reason um sounds scary yeah you're depressed (laughs) (laughs) um but the character finds in his research that the mere application of the device to a patient's body results in a partial relief of the symptoms so the writer of this article alleges that this is an example of um, of a diagnostic act as a form of therapy unto itself. So basically he was talking about how simply getting medical attention helps you feel more relaxed and, and helps relieve your symptoms. Oh, so that's why clinical um, yeah. ASMR is so popular because it feels like, like you're getting help. It just feels like a professional <laughs> taking care of you. This is like everything poor, depressed millennials need. <laughs> Like, I know you can't afford to go to a doctor, so just listen to someone talk to you like they're a doctor and you'll feel a lot better. Literally, exactly, though. That's exactly what it is. 
but that's messed up. Let I us know, go to the doctor. Right? I know. <laughs> We're so desperate say, for a like, doctor that even pretending to go to the doctor is good enough. America, fix your healthcare system. So there's two types of ASMR things you can watch on YouTube. One is just videos, and there are two types of videos. One are intentional ASMR videos, and that's when an ASMR artist creates a video with a purpose of triggering ASMR. Okay. Um, and there's also unintentional ASMR videos, which are videos typically made before 2007, where people are just making a video for a different purpose, but it ends up being used as a trigger for ASMR. Gotcha. The biggest example of this is Bob Ross videos. (gasps) People use that as ASMR all the time. I totally see that. See, I can't do that because when we watch Bob Ross videos, I get (laughs) so angry that he just like waves his brush and suddenly there are rocks. And I'm like, I just, that like infuriates me. I'm like, are you a wizard? Like, how did you do that? That doesn't seem, it doesn't seem this worldly. Like he could have been an alien and I would have believed it. I love him. Rest in peace. But oh my gosh, it makes me so angry. So that's not my kind of ASMR, but I can totally see that. (laughs) But people like it because he speaks with a calm tone of voice. He says nice Mm -hmm. things to you. And the sound of the paintbrush is like a calming sound for some people. Mm -hmm. And then obviously the painting being created is like a nice thing Mm -hmm. to see. Maybe if I listened to it and didn't watch it and didn't see all the crazy stuff he's doing, (laughs) it would be ASMR for me. All right. So I know that ASMR is something that I feel like is talked about on podcasts a lot. So I just wanted to give it a little creative spin. But I brought a couple of objects with me oh here, Sarah. She's pulling out her moon lamp. I'm nervous. <laughs> and I wanted to see if I could trigger ASMR in you. If okay. I can't, it's fine. That's fine. You know, We're not everyone it. experiences it, but let's just like see. Okay, so the first item I've brought with me is a, a package of mine from ColourPop. I uh, love their makeup. Uh, I'm just going to squeeze the bag. Sarah's freaking out. This is working. This is amazing. Oh my god, that happened so fast. It's not ready. Ah, I feel like I'm having a spasm. <laughs> I didn't think this was going to work on you. All right, all right, all right. So now ah. you have that. <laughs> that almost made me feel like, I wouldn't say that it was a tingle down my spine. It more felt like um, I'm very, very ticklish. And I hate when people touch my shoulders because that like, like oh. I can't do conga lines. And that's what that felt like for me. Now I'm going to be tapping this like round cork thing we have in our apartment that I think is like a coaster for the teapot. This doesn't do it for me as much. Oh, this one, it doesn't This really... sounds like rain, which I do sometimes listen to to fall asleep. Trigger. Next, I've got a little bottle of VapoRub, um, <laughs> which in the video that I like to watch where JB does your makeup, she just like opens a lot of bottles and I just like the sound of it. So I don't even know if this is technically a trigger, but I thought I would... Anything? It doesn't do it for me, but again, like I could see how this could be good for people yeah all right um some people like the sound of spraying so i'm not gonna go too crazy with this because it's not water it's a (laughs) a fine fragrance from bath and body works magic in the air i just bought it the other day i'm just gonna spray it like once or twice away from the microphone okay oh that's like pleasant yeah Yeah. isn't that nice yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just sprayed my face not intending to Well, my face smells nice. And the last object I have, I'm also going to tap. This is my little moon mm-hmm. sculpture lamp thing that my friend Erin gave me for Secret Santa. I love it. Oh, that's nice. I like that it turned on. The lamp turned on when I tapped it. That's 
like nice. Yeah. So the package definitely the package did it for you the most. I'm gonna do it one best. more time just because I could not believe how well it worked. Stop. It. <laughs> wow. Wow. She's like. <laughs> I'm like squirming. I'm so proud of how much that worked. I don't know if that's gonna work on any of our listeners, but there you just got a little mini ASMR demonstration. Excellent. So that's all I have for you today. So Jane and I have a new segment. Yeah, I don't remember how I found this, but I found it about the Reddit thread r slash too afraid to ask. And I was like, this is where we're going to get some good content. And so I was scrolling through trying to see if there are any topics that we could cover a whole episode on. And I don't think there's anything in there that would take an entire episode to cover. But we're going to be we're going to alternate picking a question that's been on there. And we're just going to talk about it briefly because a lot of them are like opinion based questions okay. as well, not necessarily research based questions. So the question that I found this week that we're going to start with is are babies a parasite? <gasps> oh, you asked me this earlier in the week and I totally forgot about this. Yeah. Do you think babies are a parasite? Okay, I feel like you're going to tell me that they technically fit the definition, <laughs> but here's the thing. This in, is Ravenclaw versus Hufflepuff yeah. sensibilities right In here. my thoughts of what a parasite is, I think it's something that is not... Mm, I already thought of a thing that contradicts what I'm about to say. But like when you think of a parasite, you typically think of like something you accidentally pick up, like you go swimming and like mm, a bug gets in you or something, like something that comes from the outside world that makes it that latches onto your body mm-hmm. and then survives off of your body. Right. But like a baby, technically like your body created it, but like I can already like cuz like your body also creates like tumors and things that are not supposed to be there. Right. So do you want to know what the definition of a parasite is? I do. I do. The definition of a parasite is an organism that lives in or on an organism of another species, its host, and benefits by deriving nutrients at the other's expense. So I guess it's, see, this says another species. When I looked up a different definition, it didn't include another species. (laughs) When you go on the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the first (laughs) one that comes up is a person who exploits the hospitality of the rich and earns welcome by flattery. (laughs) Which is like... (laughs) Wow. Um, but then the second one on Merriam-Webster, which is the dif- the dictionary I personally trust the most, is an organism living in, with, or on another organism. So, and that fits the definition of a baby. Like, that's what a baby is. I it's something that, and that I saw thing. another definition that was like, it purposely like feeds off your nutrients and your body function. And that's exactly what a baby is. Yeah. Now, I think maybe this is just the case of parasites getting a bad rep. Yeah, this is one good parasite. Yeah. I keep thinking of that song from Waitress that's like, Precious little parasite that set its sights on you. <gasps> That's a lyric in Waitress? come true. I did not know that. Don't See, even Waitress makes this argument. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah, I would say that it's a parasite. Would you agree? It's a parasite, but it's a good parasite. That's fine. <laughs> the definition, except for that one about exploiting the rich, didn't say good or bad. It just was like, it's just a thing. But it's also like only a temporary parasite because eventually you give birth to it and then it becomes its own organism. That right, doesn't but I feel need like most anymore. parasites are temporary. Like not many parasites. I don't think there are many parasites well, that come in. there are probably some and- parasites that die if they're removed from their host, right? I mean, I guess a baby would if you... If this is like that, that book, The Host by Stephanie Meyer. <laughs> i really liked that book okay so parasites do depend on its host for survival and without a host a parasite cannot live grow and multiply so there is a point 
in a person's pregnancy in which the baby can live without the mother. It's like like end of third trimester. Um, it's like 28 weeks or something like that. Like the baby can technically survive outside the body. So I guess it's like, is a baby a parasite up until it can defend on its own? I guess. Oh, so, so, so here's an important distinction. A parasite reduces the fitness of its host. A baby increases the oh. fitness of its parents. So like a parasite oh. attacks your immune system, but babies in pregnancy like ups your immune system interesting that's what this one website says so this one website based off of that no a baby wouldn't be a parasite it's not i just feel like i keep going back and forth i do too i feel because like I... you know what if that's true why isn't in the definition <laughs> all right let's take a vote that's a thinker are you a yes or a no i'm a yes but i think we need to rethink how we think of parasites like some are good <laughs> that last like... one changed my mind i think i'm a no it's not a parasite that last that last piece of information interesting all right and that's great all right are you ready to learn all about eyeshadow i'm ready to go with our tell me what's on my face right now to go with our bold look Mm -hmm. all right we're gonna start with i'm gonna start with a question i think this is gonna become my thing i'm gonna start with a quiz for you okay (laughs) (laughs) but an easy quiz just take a guess how old do you think eyeshadow is oh old um (laughs) (laughs) old like I feel like they must have used it in, like, ancient Egypt. That is correct. Um, how, how long ago do you think ancient Egypt was? <laughs> I feel so dumb. No, no, it's um, okay. No, no, long ago. Like, BCE, for sure. Oh, definitely. But what, like, what like, year? Okay, um, like, I'm going to say 500 BCE. Okay. <laughs> Eyeshadow is 12,000 years old. Ancient Egypt was 10,000 BCE. Oh my god, I'm such an idiot. No, but but ancient Egypt, like... No, you have ancient to... Egypt. I was also kind of thinking of like, oh, like there were Egyptians around when like the Bible was happening. No, it's <laughs> true, but we don't realize how long ancient history was. Like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, ancient Egypt, those were around for thousands yeah. of years. Thousands and thousands and thousands. To us, when, what, what we learn about them, like... The first person from ancient history I could name is Julius Caesar, and he was murdered in 44 BC. This show is just going to expose me on how little I remember from history class. It's okay. See, the thing is, is I'm really bad at science and math, (laughs) and you're good at science and math, so we have a perfect balance. So when I was starting to Google this, I I got on Wikipedia, as we do, Mm -hmm. and you know how some things are so obvious that you don't even know how to define it? Mm -hmm. It seems like Wikipedia had that same thing, because the definition of eyeshadow was so long-winded because they couldn't figure out how to define it um, except to describe it in great detail. powder that you put on your eyes. So this is the Wikipedia's intro to eyeshadow. Eyeshadow is a cosmetic that is applied on the eyelids and under the eyebrows. You're not wrong. (laughs) And is commonly used to make the wearer's eyes stand out or look more attractive. That's kind of like, duh. Why did that happen, though? Like, I I said in our last episode, like... Oh, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get into it. Um, This is another section on Wikipedia that I also found very amusing. In gothic fashion, black or similarly dark-colored eyeshadow and other types of eye makeup are popular among both sexes. (laughs) So the goths are included in the definition of eyeshadow because they've made that much of an impact, which I found very, very funny. And then they just, like, go into this, like... Like very over labored description of eyeshadow that I was like, who needed this? Like I guess <laughs> I guess someone somewhere. Jenna Marbles had one video where she talks about makeup and she goes on this long rant about every single product 
beauty product that we use is essentially goo. And it kind of blew my mind. I'm going to talk about what's in eyeshadow. And she's actually a little bit wrong for eyeshadow. Well, yeah, I guess that's powder. But yeah. So 10,000 BCE. Envision it. Eyeshadow back then was made of coal, as in Kohl's, the department store. Same spelling. <laughs> and I just want to say, did you know? Because I, I Googled Kohl's. I mean, Kohl's was there. Jesus Christ, Penny. Yeah. <laughs> they all were there. Kohl's was there. I Googled Kohl's to find out if Kohl's is named after eyeshadow. And no, he's named it, Kohl's, the department store, is named after a Polish immigrant, which is probably why I love that place because my family is comes comes from poland but did you know that kohl's is the largest department store chain in the u.s get out of here yeah doesn't it seem like it should be macy's interesting kohl's has over has 1100 locations interesting yeah super interesting um so that's about kohl's the department store not what we're covering but we love kohl's (laughs) sponsor us so coal the eyeshadow material was made by mixing lead sulfide so healthy Uh with minerals ashes and oils and egyptians thought that eyeshadow could cure eye infections and quote reduce glare and this came up a lot um so by reduce glare they mean like protect their eyes from the sun like sunglasses would which i don't necessarily understand and that sounds like a oh they just didn't understand science but then they used that happened for like thousands of years like literally into the dark ages in india people would use that well it's Um, like how that the like stripes people put on their faces when they're playing sports like that's also meant to like do something to your vision like it's really yeah i didn't know that like there's something about having the like black here like i think it's the way it reflects the light yeah um yeah so that was the that was an early function of eyeshadow in addition to like cosmetics so what you're saying is like football players are wearing eyeshadow but we're not ready to have that discussion yet exactly (laughs) it's a form of eyeshadow so yeah that's what it was originally for reduced glare because in egypt you know they're out in the desert in the hot sun all day same with india Mm -hmm. a lot of civilizations living in that sort of climate that's what they used eyeshadow for um but they also used it for religious purposes so eyeshadow made them look more like the depiction of the gods that they had in their art okay um and they wanted to look like the gods and then eyeshadow made its way to greece and rome and in addition to appearance enhancement they used it the greeks and the romans used it to ward off evil forces such as the evil eye do you know what the evil eye is i do not okay i want to do an episode on the evil eye but it's this like it's a it's a curse or a legend um believed to be cast by like a malevolent glare so just like there's probably a divine figure of good there's a divine figure of bad and the evil eye came from him but it's used in a lot of it's used in a lot of like jewelry as a talisman um so it looks like this and i bet you've seen it before or i'll put this on our website it's just like a target it kind of looks like a target yeah but it's blue and they wore it very often but it was a sign of malevolent and bad fortune and bad forces um so they used <laughs> it sounded it. like you said bad horses bad horses bad so they used eye, eyeshadow to ward off the evil eye and i i do want to do an episode i'm not going into a lot of detail about it because i want to do an episode where i where we cover the evil eye because it has a very long and interesting history the greeks they crushed stone such as malachite and lapis lazuli which we love Stephen nice um, to make their eyeshadow and became the lead exporters of eyeshadow in 7th and 8th century BCE. So 800-700 BCE, they were exporting those goods, exporting oh, okay. eyeshadow. Still, still a very long time ago. I guess. Yes, yeah, still a very long time ago. The Romans added plants, 
um, herbs, stones, and dried flowers imported from India and Babylon, um, which were very expensive. So only the royalty and extremely wealthy women had access to eyeshadow in ancient Rome. But when plagues started to rise, they used eyeshadow for medicinal purposes because they were crushing all of these things that they would use as medicine into the eyeshadow. Wait, like, so they would put it on their eyes to make them feel better or they would like be like oh here's my eyeshadow let me just eat some also i don't know i think it was like, like i think was it was more like they put it on their eyes and they thought that or was, their like skin would soak okay. it in okay yeah i or think multi-use. that's what it was i don't think they i don't think they ate it i don't think they ingested it or like sniffed it no because they, they it was still made of stones and they knew that so they wouldn't ingest i, I don't know maybe they would ingest rocks <laughs> I mean, like, what is salt, really, if not... <laughs> if not rocks. I love rock salt. So good. So that's what they used it for. In 10th century BCE, Japanese women used their own form of eyeshadow made of flowers, rice flour, and, brace yourself, bird feces. Oh, no! Yeah, they would use bird feces. Don't know why. <laughs> not really sure why. Coal, the same stuff from ancient Egypt, was also used on infants in India to ward off the evil eye, just like the Romans would. But they would put it on babies. Um, and like I said, India, it was also very common for them to use it to reduce the harshness of the sun. So then, like I said, this is the research. This is most of the research that I had done before today. Like, you think like, oh, that's like the very beginning. But then research skips like huge chunks of time after this and because they're not really sure whether or not they used eyeshadow in the dark ages or the medieval period after that like it was used in ancient cultures and then when that was lost we have no idea but there is some evidence in 1350 that eyeshadow was sort of or makeup was still sort of being used not necessarily eyeshadow there's a statue from 1350 that shows a well-made-up woman woman with plucked eyebrows and blush and quite a quite a lot of blush it's definitely not just rosacea uh-huh. but not eyeshadow so we don't know about eyeshadow i mean it could have just been like sunburn it could no i don't think it was it was like that's it wasn't it wasn't a natural sunburn <laughs> that's for sure it's only on the third the, the apples of her cheeks yeah do you think like i wonder when we're gonna have to cover this when was sunscreen invented where people just sunburn all <gasps> the time for the first like fifteen thousand years like <laughs> until 1900 or whatever sunscreen I was invented mean, I don't know. I mean... Like, they never... When they talk about, like, the harshness of war in, like, the Dark Ages, they never talk about people getting sunburned and exposure. I mean, you have heard, like, the phrase die of exposure, but... Well, I feel like that's why some humans who were outside more developed melanin in their skin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess, like, you know, we evolved according to our climate. That's why Irish people have such fair skin, because it's not sunny there, you know? Yeah. Like course they're gonna burn in a hot sack once they go to florida (laughs) so who knows but anyway so easily so the clergy argued pretty often whether or not cosmetics were respectable which is part of the reason why we're not really sure if people wore makeup the clergy did say that it was a vain practice except in the case of women who were very ill and therefore less attractive and they were excused from vanity and allowed to wear makeup to attract a husband Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. Isn't that awful? So that was the only case in which makeup was allowed, according to this one website, which seemed to be the only website that knew anything about makeup before 1900, but after 10,000 BCE. 
Um, the Italian Saint Thomas Aquinas said it was not a bad thing to wear cosmetics to attract a husband, but women needed to be careful not to wear too much and attract someone else's husband. <gasps> so don't be scandalous, ladies. Don't try to attract others' husbands. Oh my gosh. Hide your ankles. Don't wear makeup. <laughs> I know. So although the technology to produce eyeshadow still existed, like, during the dark ages a lot of technology was lost this was not one of those things um painting and sculptures for the next hundreds of years showed women with quote pale and unadorned eyes so no eyeshadow on um that's mostly in western culture i have i couldn't really find anything about eastern culture if india it was still popular in india or egypt um during this time but in western culture where there was a huge christian influence not really so much and I don't really know when it stopped being a practice. That's something people also don't really know. I'm assuming somewhere around the fall of Rome, but who knows? So eyeshadow reemerged during the Edwardian period. So now we're in 1900, gaining popularity because the Ballet Russe in London actually used heavy stage makeup in their performances starting in 1909. The Ballet Russe was like oh. super popular, so everyone wanted to look just like the ballerinas on stage mm-hmm. and like look look as beautiful and and elegant in 1914 vogue magazine featured an article on turkish women who use henna to outline their eyes and american women went crazy over this and it prompted the creation of commercial eyeshadow which was first sold by max factor beauty company um which wasn't really they didn't really sell it commercially commercially it was like a beauty salon and movie stars would come and get their makeup done with eyeshadow by max factor starting in 1914 get ready for some references to war paint (laughs) the musical (laughs) um elizabeth arden is credited with bringing eye makeup to the greater population in 1914 when she returned from studying cosmetics in paris and she brought back a bunch of powders because again this is very like an american-centric view of the history of eyeshadow because like the europeans always kind of knew that eyeshadow was a thing and they just weren't doing it like this when the vogue magazine came out it said like no one else was shocked except the americans about the use of henna because the rest of the world was like yeah we know (laughs) (laughs) turkey's over here we've seen them like we know um so elizabeth arden was huge because she brought the knowledge of like eyeshadow and everything and all these trends from Paris back to America. Which did you know Elizabeth Arden's name was originally Florence Graham? Do you know why she changed her name from Florence? Why? She had a business partner whose name was Elizabeth and Elizabeth died, but Elizabeth had been kind of the front runner of the entire organization. So she legally changed her name to Elizabeth because like the makeup line was known for Elizabeth, not Florence. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? Um, So that's a fun fact about Elizabeth Arden. And then in 1917, other half of war paint, Helena Rubinstein applied an intense eyeshadow look to Theta Berra as the lead in the Mm -hmm. film Cleopatra, which Mm -hmm. many, many people have seen photos of. And Theta Berra kept this as a signature look, and that significantly increased eyeshadow sales in the 1920s because Cleopatra and Theta Berra as Cleopatra became like such an iconic image for that time. By the 1920s, eyeshadow was commonly sold in makeup stands and in pharmacies, like we get them today, um, and wearing it became normal and accepted behavior, which we know because if you look at photos in the 1920s, like flapper girls are always wearing like very dark looks, Mm -hmm. very dark colors with that rouge lipstick. 
So because so many new manufacturing processes had been invented, they could make a great range of colors at a low cost. So it stopped being this like high-end item like it had been before and became like a very common cosmetic for the time. Um, and this product that was made in the 1920s with that manufacturing process is the exact same makeup and eyeshadow that we use today. It has not changed since the 1920s. Eyeshadow is typically made from talc, mica, sericite, magnesium, stearate, a colorant and preservative, but it's primarily talc. Um, what it is, is talc? Talc? It's, it's like talcum powder. It's like chalk. But like, where does one find that in the world? It's a, it's a rock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a rock or an element. Let's look it up. <laughs> talc is a clay mineral composed of um, magnesium and some other okay. stuff. But in powdered form, it is widely used as a substance known as baby powder. So baby powder and eyeshadow share a lot of the same ingredients. Fun fact. That's why some eyeshadow feels really soft. Have you ever felt a really soft eyeshadow? I always do that when I go into a makeup store. I like put my finger in it because you can test it. Cheap mm-hmm. stuff isn't as soft um mica which is one of the ingredients is actually a metal so if you have an eyeshadow with a lot of shimmer which you and i are definitely both wearing right now that means there's probably mica in it so there's actually metal in our eyeshadow oh mica's that rock that like you find as a kid like <laughs> everyone has this experience of finding mica yeah that's like what does it look like it's like layered and silvery Oh, oh yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it is layered. When you see it in real life, it's got like a lot of layers. Yes, I've definitely, I've definitely seen, yes. At the like college campus that I used to spend the summers at, because my dad used to run this camp at Bates College in Maine, um, they would always like have like patches of rock, like lining pathways, mm-hmm. and they would have like mica in them. And I always find it there and be like, look at this like layer. And I would like tear off the layer. Yeah, I've, I've definitely had... I've definitely picked up mica before and like drawn on the sidewalk with it. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's definitely a thing that happens. Um, eyeshadow also contains boiled down animal fat. No. Called tallow or taro. Am I going to have to start looking for vegan eyeshadow? I don't know. I, it is, it is made with some animal fat, which is super interesting. And I didn't know that it's boiled down animal fat. So that's all the like, factual information i have on the history of eyeshadow but i have some more fun stuff for you so you asked me why you feel so beautiful and powerful with eyeshadow on and now i'm going to tell you yay this is another quote from wikipedia depending on skin tone and experience the effect of eyeshadow usually brings out glamour and gains attention the use of eyeshadow attempts to replicate the natural eyeshadow that uh, that some women exhibit due to a natural contrasting pigmentation on their eyelids. Natural eyeshadow can range anywhere from a glossy shine to one's eyelids to a pinkish tone or even a silver look. Like, how does what? What? Uh, They're talking about the natural shade of your eyelids. Like, is sometimes is it, like is also an eyeshadow. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess in like with certain skin tones, when you're like when you got some like sweat on there and there's like a certain lighting in the room, it can look silvery. Yeah. I notice on my, like, the shape of my eye mm-hmm. lids, I have, like, a natural kind of, like, shadow under my yeah. brow bone. Yeah, so they're saying, like, the purpose <gasps> of eyeshadow is I to... shadow. 
Sarah, I solved it. <laughs> I worked it out. Get it's- out of here. <laughs> um, no, what they're saying is that like the purpose of eyeshadow is to replicate the natural tones of your face uh-huh. and bring them out, which like the looks you and I are serving today, Not I wouldn't natural. say are natural, but that's fine. Uh, but I just love the way they say, or even a silver look, like if you're feeling daring, <laughs> get in that silver look. So let's play Cosmopolitan Magazine. What eyeshadow is best for brown eyes? I'm going to tell you. I feel like it's going to tell me purples. I feel like that's what I've heard. Purple's literally the first one on the list. Ah! That's so funny. So purple is the most universally flattering eyeshadow color besides neutrals because it is across the color wheel from the neutral color. So it'll make oh. your eyes pop. Um, so that's why it's so important. And why for do I feel eyes. like it took me a while to find a good purple eyeshadow? Like I, I don't wear it every day because I feel like it's always like a look. Um... But remember when I was, like, a couple months ago, I was like, I want to start getting into eyeshadow. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to do a purple. And I had so much trouble finding a good purple palette. Yeah, it is hard. I think it said use a purple with warmer tones as, appo- as opposed to cooler tones for brown eyes. Royal blue along the lash line, which I tried to do today and it was so hard. Along the lash line, contrast the warm brown of your brown eyes while making the whites of your eyes appear brighter. So you're wearing blue eyeshadow right now. Like your eyes do look very white to me. I don't know if mine are doing that, but silvers and blues can be dangerous on the lower lash line. (laughs) Which you also did today. Silvers and blues can be dangerous on the lower lash line because they enhance dark circles. But you don't have dark circles because you're refreshed <laughs> and gorgeous. Oh, no. I just put on cover up before I did this. Um, so I would never be able to do that. I have the worst dark circles. For hazel eyes, like like myself, gold never. eyeshadow actually brings out the yellow. So they recommend using a bronze tinted or copper tinted gold, not oh. just plain gold. I am wearing gold, but it's along with some blues. Um, and it's <laughs> I wrote, we want to avoid yellow eyes eyes like that kid in the christmas um the christmas story remember the like bad guy kid like bully has like yellow eyes he wears the beaver hat yeah so gold eyeshadow will make you look like this kid if you've got brown eyes apparently i've been wearing gold eyeshadow like every day for a week i I think that's fake pride day i think that's fake i think you look beautiful i thought it looked good on me this seemed fake um and they but they did encourage you to pair it with a dark purple or navy blue to kind of balance that out what i've been doing is i've been doing like a shimmery gold like all over Mm -hmm. and then taking my um dark purple and putting it in my creases. Great. So that's what you're supposed to do. So you're following the directions. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then they said, obviously, green eyeshadow makes the green and hazel eyes pop out more. So mm. I, I will often wear green eyeshadow if it matches the outfit for that oh. reason. I'll keep an eye out for it next time. Okay. Keep an eye out. You'll see it coming soon. Um, they suggest that for brown eyes to stop everything from blending together, that you wear a bit of purple, teal, or even green under the lash line to make your eyes pop if you're going to wear brown eyeshadow. And then instead of brown, use a silver brown or even peach instead, which I do. I do. I wear peach eyeshadow. Yes. Oh, you didn't see me yesterday. Um, I did wear peach. I didn't see you yesterday. (laughs) just realized i missed you no i missed you i got home so late i know you did um so i do often wear peach eyeshadow with my gold eyeshadow like a rebel this is my final fun fact how long do you think the shelf life of eyeshadow is oh no oh this is like a personal roast because i've had some eyeshadow for way longer than this someone called me out on that 
last year at one point. I don't remember what eyeshadow I was wearing, but they were like, I like your eyeshadow. I was like, oh, thanks. I just like have had it since high school or something. And they're like, honey, no. And I was like, oh, oh, no. Is that bad? Um, the shelf life, I'm going to say two years. That's correct. It is two years. Ah, look at you. You're so smart. Yeah. So you're supposed to throw away. You're supposed to throw away mascara every three months. And I've definitely had my yeah, here. Um, It's probably dried up. I should get rid of it. But I've had eyeshadow in that drawer that you use very often <laughs> um, because I'm like, I never use this. But I've had since high school. Best health mag is explains why you can't use old makeup on your face. This is why you need to throw away makeup after the suggested shelf life. Once you open the packaging to your makeup and air hits the formulation the clock starts ticking and your product will naturally start to oxidize and degrade (gasps) fungal and bacterial growth may have developed and built on your old makeup but eye and skin infections are the most common problems with old Mm -hmm. used and borrowed makeup (laughs) never share makeup especially lipstick (laughs) mascara eyeshadow or pencils all right well i feel like that's like to stop the spread of like pink eye or like other right. things you might yeah, already like if have. you had pink eye i know I that you it. don't have pink eye so yes. i'm i feel safe I'm and i also don't have pink secret. eye <laughs> but i've had pink eye this entire time um <laughs> secretly <laughs> this one question is i've never thrown out makeup and i've never had a problem why should i change my routine now and the answer is congratulations you've been very lucky <laughs> <laughs> and if you ever get an eye infection you should throw away all the makeup that you wore during that eye infection So that's a little bit of information about why the shelf life is only two years. And that is everything about eyeshadow. Wow. All right. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. Hopefully it'll be five stars, <laughs> um, but please subscribe. And when you subscribe, those episodes will be downloaded directly onto your podcast app so you don't have to wait for us. Um, we have been releasing episodes kind of irregularly. We did a Wednesday, a Friday, and then a Monday. But from here on out, we're going to be every Wednesday with new episodes. Getting you through hump day. Yes. But we are also on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. So please, please, please like subscribe follow whatever it is for that particular app so that you can get the updates as soon as the newest episode is out each wednesday you can check out our website i've been wondering.com where we've been posting some fun things in the episode like photos that relate to what we're talking about um i just uploaded the photo about the scoby and i was like <laughs> vomiting as i was uploading I'm so it. sorry it was truly so disgusting i was like oh i'm gonna make jane do this next time she <laughs> something gross if you have something you've been wondering and you would like to share it with us, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com. We will take any and all suggestions. I've been getting a lot, which is really cool from some of our friends. Really? Yeah, I've been getting some suggestions, which is great. And we want to cover stuff that you guys want us to cover. So please, please, please send us those suggestions. And lastly, if you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a donor on Patreon. You can find us on patreon.com slash YKWIBW podcast. We have several tiers. The lowest starts at two dollars per month and with that you are going to get a shout out on the air for five dollars per month you're going to get a thank you card in the mail plus that shout out and if you get a thank you card in the mail jane's going to seal it with her hufflepuff wax seal which is super cool and very very cute and it'll have a little handwritten note from the two of us in it and if you donate to us at the ten dollar per month level because you are an absolute hero you will get either a tarot card reading from me or a birth chart reading from jane it's your choice jane you know what I've been wondering? I don't know, Sarah. What have you been wondering? 
So I've been wondering about the development of the American British accent and where that came from. And do you want to know why I'm asking you about this for next week? Why? Because next week, Philippa (gasps) is going to be joining us Ah! as a guest. So you get to tell her all about (laughs) Philippa's British. You get to tell her all about where that accent came from or where our accent came from. I've heard that the British accent developed second, but we're going to find out if that's a myth. We're gonna get in a fight with Philip. I know. I kind of hope we get in first. a fight for the com- for the comedy. But you, yeah. So you're gonna get to tell Philippa, who's gonna ah! be on the show, all about in- American and British accents. Okay, that's what I've been wondering. <laughs> so stay tuned next week for our special guest, Philippa Roberts. Oh, I'm so excited! I didn't know she's coming. Um, yeah, it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Sarah, I've also been wondering something though. Oh, what have you been wondering, Jane? <laughs> <laughs> I've been wondering about crop circles. Okay, so... (gasps) I'm so excited! (laughs) Like, I want to know where they first appeared. I want to know all the conspiracy theories behind them. Uh, Have there been any recently? Tell me all about crop circles. I I really want to (laughs) know. I am so excited because, like, I love paranormal and true crime podcasts, and I feel like this is going to be me diving into some paranormal stuff, which I've so wanted to do. Oh my gosh, I can't. I'm going to get on Reddit right after this. I can't wait. I am so excited. This is going to be so good. (laughs) Okay, so next week you can tune in and you can find us with Philippa here talking about English, American, British accents and crop circles. All right, that is everything. Thank you for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.